the marathon here. It's always good to be here. It's always good to see you all. And it's always good to open the word of God, the word of God together. As Jim has already said, uh, my portion is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, from verses 12 and God willing up to verses 34. <clears throat> I'm going to read from my Bible. You can either listen to me or you can follow uh, from your Bible. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable or to be pitied. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. For since by men came death, by men came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God even the, to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he said, all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which he put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else what shall, we say, what, shall, what shall they do? which are baptized for the dead. If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 
As always, we trust that the Lord will bless the public reading of his word. Our precious Lord, as always, we look up to you to speak your voice. And that, Lord, we will be listeners this morning as we are expedited as your own purchase. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, some of the things that, that the Apostle Paul is going to tackle with uh, have already been mentioned by uh, Andrew last week, and we continue from where he left on the subject of uh, resurrection. Now, from the very beginning, we see here from verse 12, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, you can see from this sentence that there is obvious background to what is happening here. If you would remember from the book of Acts, uh, I think it's in Acts chapter 24, the Apostle Paul had been fighting this from since then. When he stood before the religious council, the, things, the thing that really riled them was the fact that he believed as scripture teaches on the resurrection of the dead. And he stands also uh, before Felix and he reiterates the same message. Now, we, he, here we are, I don't know how many years later, in 1 Corinthians, and it seems the problem is still persisting. Now, it is okay for that argument to be out there because the world doesn't know better, but that argument to be found amongst people of God is really not understanding the teachings of Scripture. And the other thing that we notice very clearly here is that this is not just one of the things that we can agree to disagree on. And what scripture makes it very clear in this particular passage is the link in that understanding. There are some things that we can agree to disagree on. You may not like my tie. Okay, fine. But I hope you can still hug me. That's great. So there are certain things, I'm just using a simple example here, but there are certain things even within within believers that we may not necessarily agree on, okay? But they have no spiritual or Godward implication or consequences, so to speak. But when we look at this, we see that this particular issue is not an issue that we can ignore. It's not something that Christians should agree to disagree on. This is something that we should all be united because it's one of those fundamental, foundational teachings of scripture. This is what the God of the Bible teaches us. This is what he wants his people to know and understand. And what we see here is that it seems within the church here at Corinth, those whispers had found ground amongst the believers. And there is now this sort of confusion within the congregation. And now the Apostle Paul will seek to put it right once and for all. And he makes a very, very, very important link here. He says, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, without being pedantic here, there's a difference from rising from the dead or from among the dead and the resurrection of the dead. So here, the generic resurrection, the whole idea of resurrection is what here the Apostle Paul is addressing. He is going to talk later on about the resurrection from among the dead, 
But in this particular instance, he is generally, he is addressing the very notion of the fact that the idea of resurrection was being mocked. I have experienced this myself. I remember talking to somebody, an academic, um, um, about the Christian faith and just trying to explain to them that we are going to be resurrected. We believe that we're going to be resurrected and, and so forth and so forth. And he made this whole argument based of metaphysical um, reasoning. How it is impossible that because matter, they try to explain to me in terms of the cycle of matter, um, how matter changes from one form to another, how it is impossible that people who are dead can be resurrected because it just violates. You don't know the God of the Bible. You know, but what, what scripture tells us is that we are going to be resurrected. And now what he says here, the Apostle Paul gives it without saying that we all agree. We preach and you accept the fact that Christ rose from the dead. Right? If you accept that Christ rose from the dead, why is it that you are arguing about the whole idea of resurrection? Why is it an argument unto you that... So, it seems even those who are arguing against the resurrection of the dead, they accepted that Christ, among the church, they accepted that Christ rose from the dead. It's a foregone conclusion. But the link that they didn't understand... The link that we as believers should understand is that the resurrection of Christ is not an abstract event. It's not just so that Christ could go back to heaven. The bodily resurrection of Christ is a fundamental teaching and doctrinal truth of scripture to New Testament believers. Why? Because we see here a direct link that if we accept that Christ rose, the body resurrection of Christ is real. So why should we even be questioning the fact that dead people are going to rise? In other words, it is of necessity it was necessary that Christ rose from the dead. Otherwise, we would have nothing to say about the resurrection of the dead. There is a direct link in the death of Christ and rising bodily from the grave because of his resurrection from the grave we have the subject of resurrection to now talk about. You can go to Jerusalem if you want. They're going to Jerusalem if they want. If you want to prove for yourself, you can go to Jerusalem and see an empty tomb. Okay, there's a tomb there, supposedly, where the Lord was. You can believe it maybe by seeing it and you can say, okay, it's empty, so Christ rose from the dead. But this is not what we're talking about here. We are talking about the understanding of a New Testament believer, the doctrine of, of Scripture. You do not need to go to Jerusalem to see the empty tomb. But you have to understand the Bible teaching of these things. Because as we walk this journey, as we are believers, it is important that we know certain... Uh, how do we... Have you watched the film 2012? Where the whole world is flooded, basically global warming, and then it floods the whole world, right? 
actually there's been a number of films that are like that predicting these catastrophic things that are going to happen and then the ice are going to melt and then we are all, the whole world is going to be flooded with water you know what i don't have sleepless nights about that do you know why not because i don't believe in global warming or not but because god put a rainbow and promised that he will never again destroy the world with water now, I don't care how many temperatures rise, rise on earth. I'm not saying this is not a political statement. But I am saying as a New Testament believer, as someone who knows the God that I serve who does not lie, I, my convictions are not from the classroom at high school. My convictions are not at university. It is not what the lecturers tell me that determine what I believe. The foundation, the way I live my life is not determined by what I hear at school. This is very important because there is a lot of stuff that is out there at school. Now, I'm not saying that education is bad. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying as New Testament believers, we should be founded on the truth of what scripture tells us. The world is going to change. Now we don't know what is male, what is female. Right? That's what the world, now we don't know what marriage is. That's what the world wants to tell us. But we are founded on the foundations of the truth of scripture and we stand on what God says. The dead will rise. I don't care what scientists tell me. I don't know what the physical, metaphysical life cycle things say. The dead will rise and Let's see what scripture says here. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. What maybe a young believer didn't realize before is that the very argument about resurrection has consequences in our understanding of what Christ did. If there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? You wouldn't have thought of this on your own. But this is the link that scripture wants us to be aware of. This is the teaching that scripture is showing us that the resurrection of Christ is for us to understand that there is the resurrection of the dead. Otherwise, if you take, if you deny the bodily resurrection that is going to happen, what scripture is telling us that you are, then you are saying Christ did not rise from the dead. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Let us look at how he brings home this idea of the fact that then his preaching is vain. We are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. 
What is he saying here? Not only is it true that we have lied about God, but here the idea to bring the weight for you to really appreciate the meaning of this is, we testify of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not. What he's saying is, we are exaggerating that God raised Christ. Do you understand the meaning of that statement? We have overestimated the power of God. We are saying actually God was not able to raise Christ. But we are now exaggerating the power of God and saying that God raised Christ. Let me ask you, dear believer, is it possible to exaggerate the power of God? Can we exaggerate the power of God? This is very important that we understand this. When we pray to God about a situation, whatever that situation is, what is your understanding? My God, the God of the Bible, when he decided he was going to destroy the enemies of Israel, do you know what he did? He stopped the sun for a full day. Now, the earth rotates on its axis, and as it rotates on its axis, it moves also around the sun. The scientists tell you that if the earth was to stop rotating on its axis, if earth would stop moving along its arc around the sun, the oceans is is like you to be like a, a you know an environment that has no gravity. The oceans will rise up, things will fall from down going upwards. The, everything will be havoc. Earth will split. But when God decided, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy the enemies of my people, He stopped Earth. He stopped it on his tracks. When God decided, you know what? I want my people to cross this sea. He could have built boats, right? He could have, he could have told the Israelites to build boats, you know? And he didn't. He just stood the water akimbo so that his people would pass. We have no idea of the power of our God. Now to insinuate that we are exaggerating the power. The Apostle Paul is saying, you are insinuating that we are exaggerating that God can rise, can raise people from the dead. That is an offense to Almighty God. When he says nothing is impossible with me, do you think God is exaggerating? Do you think the Lord is exaggerating about his about his father? When he says nothing is impossible with me. I know sometimes we err on the side 
of sometimes not believing God can do certain things because we're just being cautious as believers. This sometimes happens to us. But let me tell you that the God that we save is an amazing God. He's like no other. The only reason right now he is not intervening to do things, to manifest his power, is because he's patient. He is patient. He is still waiting for men and women to believe. Believe is not seeing. Seeing, you know, seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. He's still waiting for women to understand who he is and come to him in love towards him. Trust me, he is going to manifest his power. He is going to show his power. All these questions are going to fly away. You got to read Revelations for yourself. The end of Revelations. We are going to see his power when he will destroy the universe. He will wrap it like a scroll, scripture tells us. And he's going to create a new universe, a new earth, a new heaven. I have no idea what that is going to look like. Can you even imagine that earth where there is no sea? Can you even imagine how that earth when there is no there is no sun and there is no moon? They tell us that without the sun there will be no life. They don't know the God of the Bible. We do not need sun. We do not need oxygen. Jonah was in the well of the fish. Do you believe that? I believe that. Scientists will tell us all sorts of things and all sorts of things. You don't know the God of my Bible. He is going to raise the dead back to life. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. They thought they were having an academic argument about whether dead will rise from the when people rise from the dead. They thought it was an academic argument. But now what we are seeing here is that the truth of the Bible, what is revealing to us is it is a dire consequence not to understand this. Because not only have we seen that we are actually blaspheming God, we are slandering God, calling God a liar. But now we see that actually the very foundation that we stand on as saved people, that our sins are forgiven. When we question this doctrine, the implications, they go way, way back to the very foundation of your salvation. You are still in your sins. shakes you to life, doesn't it? Something that seemed like a trivial thing, an academic exercise that we can argue about. But what scripture is telling us is that 
you are trading very, very dangerously. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. We are pitied. I remember in my workplace, my bosses, they asked me to do something and I delegated to a colleague. And then we went to a and this colleague worked, worked hard, long hours to try and accomplish this task. And then I went back to a meeting and the bosses decided they changed their minds. After pouring hours and hours and hours and hours of work. And as I walked back from the meeting going to my colleague, I felt sorry for, the colleague, for this colleague of mine. She had worked hours upon hours on a task only to realize that all that work is worthless. I felt sorry. I had to apologize. If we as Christians are going about living the lives that we live as Christians, best on a belief that will be resurrected from the dead, and yet it being a lie. If that is the case, in my country we say, do you have that in this country? I feel sorry for you. Paul here is self-deprecating to bring out a point. It's not that this is the reality. It's, it's not that He's, he, is, he is trying to show us the fact that if these, are, if, you, if, these things, if these things are so, the ramifications of them are so dire and we are such miserable people that it cannot be. How do I know that? But now is Christ risen from the dead. He, that gloom now, that confusion now, that was he was talking about in the past, is now cleared. Now the truth steps forward. Now he's been talking about the error of the believers in 1 Corinthians. Now he is going to talk about the truth of scripture. And now he lifts up the veil, he lifts up the mood. And he brings us together to the truth of scripture. The truth shall set you free. In a way, you can almost imagine to the listeners, you know, in Corinth, listening to this, the gloom that is just talked about, how we are most miserable. And, but now the truth is ushered in to say, but we know that now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruit of them that sleep. Now, now this is now, he's now going to talk about his risen from the dead. Now, this is not the resurrection of the dead, but now he's going to now deal with the resurrection from the dead. Now, what is scripture teaching us here? Clearly he's teaching us, I know there might be disagreements on this, but they, clearly he's teaching us how God is going to deal with things, the eschatology of things, so to speak. So now is Christ risen from the dead as what? 
as the first fruits. Now you would remember this word. We, did, we dealt with this word, didn't we? For weeks and weeks and weeks on end. What are the first fruits? The first fruits are the pledge. You know, those first harvests that are a pledge of the rest of the harvest that is to come. So now is Christ the first fruit? How is he the first fruit? Christ rose from the dead. Right? As the pledge of the harvest that is to come. It's not yet come yet. But be sure, as sure as you know, that in the offering of the first fruit, it was the gift of the first harvest, which then Israel will then go on and harvest the rest of the harvest. The first harvest was the pledge of that which was to come, which was of the same kind. So the first fruit which was brought of the barley was not so that then they go and harvest mangoes. They bought first fruit of the barley and then they went and harvested barley. So Christ became the first fruit to rise from among the dead. Because there is going to be a resurrection. The very the, the notion, the idea, now that we have established the idea of resurrection, the generic idea of resurrection, that the idea of resurrection is true, but also it is also true that as Christ rose from among the dead, the, he became the pledge of a resurrection that is to come from among the dead. What do we believe as, 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 as Christians? Everyone is going to be resurrected. Genetic resurrection. But there is also a resurrection that is going to happen. From among the dead. Others will stay dead. But others will rise up again. Is there someone thinking First Thessalonians here? Chapter 4. They will be risen, resurrected. From among the dead. For since by men came death, by men came also the resurrection of the dead. Now we see another revelation of the representation, representation of the federal heads in human history. The first one was Adam. And we know what Adam did. And the consequences thereof. Adam is the federal head of man, men and women. Because of him, death came to all men. The consequence of his action came to all men. Similarly, Christ is the, our federal head who is risen from the dead. And is what? Is alive. Even so in Christ. Shall all be made. Alive. Do we believe. That today. At 18 past 12. There is a son of God. Who is alive. Seated at the right hand. Of the father. In all antiquity and history of mankind, great people, Winston Churchill, 
I don't know who your hero is. In Africa, we've got Chaka, Zulu, and all religious circles, including Muhammad, I must say. You can go to their graves and you can see their remains. But my Lord, the God that I serve, who saved me from my sins, is alive bodily and is in heaven right now. Waiting for what? We will see as we go on. Then cometh the end. The end. So, the order here is, every man is going to be in his own order. Christ, the first fruit. Afterward, they that are Christ's. Now, this is the distinction we're trying to make about rising from among the dead. So, we see that Christ is risen first. That has happened in history. And then at his coming, those that are Christ's. So, this is not the generic resurrection. This is the resurrection of believers only. And then after that, the end. When, we shall, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power under his feet. So now when you go to Revelations, you learn here that he is going to reign for a thousand and four. He must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. So he is going to reign and there will still be enemies. Now, scripture tells a lot about that edge, the millennial kingdom. It speaks a lot about that edge. There is going to be quite a lot of good things. There is going to be quite, earth is going to be restored to a certain extent. And life is going to be elongated. There will be quite a, an experience that is going to be very fulfilling. But even in that edge, there will still be enemies. God will not have finished yet with his plan. But all his enemies eventually will be put under his feet. And when he has done that, the last enemy to be defeated, this is Revelation chapter 20, is what? Death itself. Now, in a way, we know as believers that the sting of death is no longer in us. Now, God who counts things, you know, that are not as they are, we can live and know that even that which has not yet come to pass, we know that death doesn't have power over us. Our brother, um, Pepler, he has succumbed, isn't he? But he's not perished. He just opened the door. He just went to the other side. Yes, his body has been detained for a little while. But there is going to come a time when the claim of death itself, when the physical manifestation of death itself is going to cease and be destroyed once 
and for all. We go on the streets and we try to witness to people. And they say to us, why did this, why did my auntie have cancer? Why did by so and so get murdered? Why, where is God? Where, why, 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 why? And I wish, I wish they could understand the good things that God has in store. God is preparing a world for us such as the world has never seen. The universe has never seen. God is preparing something that is much. God is not going to improve this earth. He's not. This world is pouring all its energy and resources to try and improve this. I'm not saying we should be careless as believers. But to them, because we'll see here, to them because it all starts and ends here. This is it. This is all that it is to it. They've got nothing else to look forward to. So in a way, I can understand why they'll pour their energies to try and make their best lives now here. Because that's all that they've got. But boy, do I need to talk to you about streets made of gold? No, please don't get me there. We do, we're not materialistic, but they are good things that God has in store for us. And they are coming. And the amazing thing is that God has not hidden them from us. God could have chosen not to tell us these things. But God has let us know what an amazing God that he is. He doesn't want us to be blundering about, walking about, not knowing what he is doing. The Lord called us his friends. He reveals his secrets to us. I know I'm running out of time. Very quickly. <laughs> For he hath put all things under his feet. Verse 29. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? Now, that's a difficult one. If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? Now, I have, if you've spoken to Mormons, right, they have totally misunderstood this verse. And they think this verse teaches that you can be baptized for the dead. So in Mormon, Mormon churches, it's, it's, it's heresy, right? That, if, you have, if you have Mormons come into your house, you witness to them. The, the, the only thing that you can do to them is witness to them, right? They're a cult, basically. Don't, don't be fooled by the Bible on top that they put on top underneath. It's all cult, right? They baptize people in the belief that those that are dead can benefit from the baptism of those that are living. And they go to this verse to cite that. But this is not what scripture is, is teaching here. What scripture is teaching, sometimes context sometimes is what really helps us to understand these things. Because when you see when it, what the Lord says, um, what scripture says um, uh, in verse 13 and 31, what the apostle says then, why stand we in jeopardy every hour? So what is he talking about? What he's talking about here is by which are baptized for the dead, he is talking about in that time, what was happening is if there was one thing that was 
a public declaration of being a Christian at that time still is now is baptism but except for us now that baptism really is you can have some persecution here and there but then in that time when somebody was baptized they were straight their life straight was in danger and indeed they were killed for their declaration of faith so there was a direct consequence to them to their lives when they were baptized so when this statement says what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not what the apostle paul says what about all those that we know have died and we know they declared their faith in their baptism what about them have they died in vain and then the course goes on you can see here from the logical following of the next next sentence and why stand we in jeopardy every hour i said what about us okay forget about even if you want to forget about these that have died for the faith what about even us look at me how much i have suffered why would i do this remember this was no mean man this was no small man the apostle paul Saul of Tarsus was a very powerful man. He could he had links to the most powerful authorities of that time. He had the whole world before him. He could do anything that he wanted, but he forsook all that and he calls it in Galatians dumb. And now instead what did he exchange it for? Daily threats and hazards to his life. And he's like, do you think I am suffering all this for nothing. Do you think I gave up everything for nothing? I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ our Lord. I die daily. The threats to his life are every day. He can die anytime. His life could be taken away from him. If there is one if there is one person in scripture that to me really is a testament of the reality of Christianity it is the apostle Paul I'm not I'm not talking about the Lord but mortal man it is the apostle Paul you cannot convince me no one has ever given me a rational reason why the apostle paul gave up what he gave up and died in the manner that he died why it's because him whom we believe is real the christian faith is real the law that we serve is real the resurrection that is to come is real the world that is to come that god is prepared is preparing for us is real a life of no suffering no pain no tears is real a world without the sun without the sea is real revelation said there is no more night is real 
Do we believe these things? I do. Then you can rest in the knowledge of the fact that when our physical bodies die, we do not cry as if people that are without hope. When our loved ones who are in Christ die, we grieve because we are going to miss them. But it's only for a little while. We will see them again and one day we will be together again without sin, without suffering, without pain. This is the truth of the Bible. And these are the things that we hold dearly to. Let no one tell you otherwise. Let us pray. Our precious Lord and our good Savior, you are a good God unto us. We are undeserving creatures, but we can only say thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are ours and that we are yours. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of the Bible that set us free. We thank you, Lord, that we can know you have shared with us the secrets and the mysteries of heaven so that, O oh Lord, we can enjoy these things, not even in a time to come, but we can start to enjoy them now whilst we wait for your coming. Help us, Lord, to absorb these things to our hearts so that we can live lives that are fitting and matching to these realities. These things, Lord, we ask in your most wonderful and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.